And hello and welcome. This is the DC Comics News Spinner Rack, episode number 66. I am your host, Seth Singleton. You have stepped outside the real world, pulled on your headphones, tuned in, and hopefully are joining me here in this place just outside of time where we get the chance to look over my top five picks this week, just like every week, from DC Comics. Without any further ado, which is just one of those fun things to say before you start, or we could just go with, hey, let's get started. With that in mind, I give you our first choice. And today I'm looking at John Constantine Hellblazer, issue number eight. In a story, Britannia, Rule the Waves, written by Simon Spurrier, with art by Aaron Campbell, colors by Jordi Belair, letters by Aditya Bittikar, and a cover by John Paul Leon. A cover that <laughs> has a bit of humor to it, with John's face, a cigarette hanging out of his lips, packed in the ice among the fishies. Now, of course, if you've been following this story, it's not hard to understand why it is that this is happening. Um, <laughs> this has been a really powerful story, one that is both unpleasant, challenging, confusing, and uncomfortable. It's the story of someone who is low and who has found a way to raise themselves up on the skills, strength, and love of another. And then once they attain that height, they become a darker version of themselves. They expect that things work for themselves. They expect that people do what they say. They expect that they should have and get what they want. They believe that this authority that they've attained is one that uh, gives them greater rights. In many ways, it makes them the exception to the rule as they see it, which is interesting because it's something that probably many of us have seen. Maybe some of us have actually experienced personally. Uh, maybe some of us have become this. And this is the story about how when this is done, especially using magic, there are consequences, violent, terrible, awful consequences. There's some really lovely storytelling devices used in here. And for all of the ways that John is often described as a, well, in polite terms, a wanker, or if nothing else, just a roustabout, a layabout, who does enough, but is always doing something sneaky, underhanded, untrustworthy. And because he believes that being straightforward can either take too much work or prepare someone for the dastardly deed you might be committing. So better to beg forgiveness than ask permission. And yet in this story, John's compassionate side really comes through. It shows up quite well in the first part of this story in the previous issue. And it's so well developed here as John begins to recognize that there's an evil that has drawn him to this story. One that is not immediately connected to the tragedy of a broken love story, betrayal by a loved one, 
and the damage it does when there are magic and mythical creatures involved and how these creatures they are faithful they are loyal and they are also in many ways unaware of the agreements we've made as members of a society who don't always treat each other well and the trade-off for that can be a powerful learning curve and experience the the great thing about john is that he appears to have stumbled onto this story and yet in the process he realizes what's going on how it relates to what he's doing and even if it's not as important as the main story which is who it is that's been stirring up magic trouble this is a dark watery tale about what happens when love is betrayed for power or money or both and the dangerous consequences of that betrayal it, it's a it's a lovely story and i really enjoyed the fact that so many of the great elements that make it feel so real and so easy to sink into are things like uh, the docks the fisheries the rain the shadows the constant gloom the gray green that that seems to always exist in harbors and along the water the the way the night and shadows are captured with this grainy sort of texture that reminds you of stucco that has had too much rain and that now has stains from the different wood pieces window frames and other sections that can sort of bleed dirt and grime onto the stucco and those elements really come through and then of course they're matched perfectly with the uh, sort of dark grim interiors of bars and the contrast is subtle and yet it maintains this tone that is really well balanced and i think just a testament to the great art team um <laughs> aaron campbell clearly doing a great job providing these these sort of heavy sketchy uh, lines and pencils and gorgeous colors by jordi belair all of this combines to make hellblazer number eight my first choice and also to start us off with a bit of a watery theme as we move into my second choice. So minor sin of omission here, but I didn't point out in the last issue that one of the things that's intriguing about the, the fisheries and the love in the last story is that it also has to deal with motherhood. And more specifically, motherhood as it relates to the water and the oceans. Interestingly enough, my second choice, plunge number five, has some of those same thematic remnants available. Plunge, of course, has been taking place as part of the Joe Hillhouse line of comics, and it's somewhere out in the dark, cold waters. It's been established more recently, but for the purposes of this story, it can sometimes be easier to just say, well, sure, Arctic, Antarctic, Go ahead and read back through the previous issues if it helps give you a sense of location a little bit better. But by this point, the main thing is if you can picture the movie The Thing, or if you can simply imagine the cold, dark, dreary that can exist in a sub-zero climate, or 
something nearing it. Then that's where we open in the plunge and the discovery that there has been a stowaway who is also a saboteur on the ship that the crew has returned to. They've been made an offer by the creatures that animate the dead bodies of the crew that they have found that was, they believed originally, the crew they were rescuing. Instead of rescuing this crew, they are now tied up in a plot with a species that claims to be from outer space, that crashed here, that has been imprisoned, and now only wishes to escape. And if the crew of the rescue ship is able to help out, then they have an opportunity to essentially also be set free. The idea being, if they can provide the aliens with an opportunity to get free, then they too will be released from any involvement or obligation. The concern, of course, is how can they trust these creatures who have already maimed and damaged and killed many of them? And now the discovery of a saboteur, which was the first body that they had pulled up floating in the water. And because it's animated by the creatures that they are now negotiating with, it has been destroying parts of the ship in order to cripple them and force them to engage in this bargain. Now there's a trade-off. There's a young man who was given a pair of headphones. Russell, using those headphones, was able to tap into a communication feed. And it's interesting how it is similar to the idea of water and this concept of the tidal plunge and the story taking place over the water. Russell makes the decision to go down deep. And when he does, he discovers a horrifying concept behind these alien creatures. And because of that, he is struck in such a way that he does not appear able to recover. And he's speaking in a form of poetry and code, talking about how these creatures that appear to be like worms or centipedes aren't worms, they're reproductive cells. This is all part of one organic being and how this being has a creature, a youngling, an offspring that is down below the waters and that offspring wants to be set free. Now, the crew realizes, sadly, that there is more than one saboteur and that not all those who are with them are actually concerned about the welfare of the crew. That turns the tide, leads to the crew being threatened and a development and a harrowing decision sets us up for the next chapter. Clearly, something will be born. And when it is, it's going to reveal just as much as we've been hoping and yet probably create even more questions. There is a lovely, dark, unyielding quality to this story. It's captured in the shadows. It's a lovely combination of the work by Joe Hill and Stuart Immonen on the writing. The Colors by David Stewart. Letters by Darren Bennett. And an amazing cover by Jeremy Wilson with a equally frightening 
very covered by Gary Frank and Brad Anderson. And with that, I'm happy to say that this water theme, at least for now, takes a pause. But if you are looking for two dark, horrifying, and shocking examples of tales by the water, well, <laughs> I would say look no further than Hellblazer number eight and Plunger number five. Plunger number five, of course, my second choice for this episode, DC Comics' new spinner rack. And with the second book out of the way, it's time for us to take that quick ad break, catch up on all the things going on at DC Comics News, whether it's the weekly podcast, Mad Love, or one of our other surprises. Stick around, hang out, we'll be right back with my third, fourth, and fifth choices. Hi everyone, I'm here to tell you about the DC Comics News podcast, here every week to talk everything DC, movies, TV, comics, and everything in between. But don't just take my word for it. Here are a couple of our sponsors. Listen to the DC Comics News Podcast. It's audio justice. <laughs> no, no, no. It's audio chaos. These wackos are crazier than I am. Well, maybe you're both right. Regardless, you can catch us on every kind of podcast platform. Apple Podcasts. Google Play. Spotify. Stitcher. And everywhere you find great podcasts. So, um, can I go now? Let him go. He did everything you asked. <laughs> no. Hello, listeners. This is Tony Farina from DC Comics News and an occasional guest on Comics in Motion. I'm pleased to announce a new show called Indie Comics Spotlight. Each week, my guests and I will be taking a deep dive into a current title or a classic graphic novel from a publisher other than the big two. Consider this show the best of the rest. My hope is that we'll bring new readers to independent comics and give old readers a chance to share their thoughts. Join me each week in the Comics in Motion feed in your favorite podcast catcher. First... There was the DC Comics News Podcast. Then came the Spinner Rack. And now, the third show brought to you by the guys that brought you all that other stuff I just mentioned. I Am The Night. A story about the stories. A show celebrating Batman, the animated series. Week by week, episode by episode. Just when you thought it was safe to put on a pair of headphones, I am the night. Why, hello there. I'm Seth Singleton, and I'm here to tell you about Mad Bub, a Harley Quinn cast. Three, two, one. Harley Quinn? Harley f***ing Quinn? What have we learned from this crazy show? Making bat shark repellent relevant since 1966. Oh, look, Gogurt. And we've gone completely off the rails. I hear the bat signal. Shut up and bat them, nuts. I definitely do not f*** bats. In need of an adult-sized nemesis. Humans make good fertilizer. You can't f*** with Lois Lane. For f***'s sake. I'm a damn good cop. A lot of lasers. Mmm. Educational and informative. The DC Comics News Podcast Network presents Mad Love, the Harley Quinn cast. <laughs> Back to you, Seth. 
So, tell us your thoughts. We'd love to hear from everyone out there. Or not. That's really up to all of you. Fuckers. Thanks for your patience. We're back after that quick ad break. And hope we caught you up to everything new and exciting going on here at DC Comics News. Got any questions? Well, please don't hesitate to let us know. Stay tuned to the end for all the ways I let you know how to do that. Now that the ad break's out of the way, it's time for us to go ahead and pick up with my third choice for this week. I'm picking up and I'm loving Batman Superman, issue number 10. This is a really great story, Atomic Part 2. Written by Joshua Williamson, with art by Clayton Henry, colors by Alejandro Sanchez, letters by John J. Hill, an original cover by Henry and Sanchez, and a variant cover by Ricardo Federici. It's a gorgeous variant cover. I mean, the original cover is great with the newsprint, but there's something powerful about the variant cover in this grainy, textured Superman. And it's just a hint of what's lying inside. And what I love about what's lying inside is this great opening story that that sort of gives us a, a backdrop for an earlier encounter between Superman and the ultra-humanite who has stolen an experimental sequencer from Star Labs. And in the process of fighting with Superman is fatally wounded. But he gives this cryptic message of savior pity, it's just a body, and uh, my mind is strong. Which, to me, then, of course, tells me that the ultra-humanite will be back because he's never actually gone. It's, it's just like he's always there on the edge. I don't know if you can hear in the background, but you know, another plane is, is coming in for a landing. And as they are, the feeling as they approach and as they leave, it almost feels like the sound never goes. And if you wait just long enough, the sound sort of fades into the background. But there's always that feeling it'll be back. And with the Ultra Human Knight, I have this feeling he's never, ever gone. It's just not possible. <laughs> he's been around for so long, and he's so perfected the idea of transferring his brain into another body that his ability to always return is as great a likelihood as Superman's ability to always win. The lovely part is that we open with that really bright and sunny day in Metropolis and the tragedy that occurs, and then we jump forward to Batman and Superman examining the dead body of the atomic skull, who had turned his life around and then was turned into a living bomb, and in the process, a mystery that has sort of wrapped up Batman and Superman into how it is that this happened, how much control he might have had, and what relevance Wayne Technologies and others might have had. Now, there's a very interesting um, hint, signal, or foreshadowing when Bruce, in the Batcave with Superman examining the body, tells, tells Superman that it, it's not his fault. And he knows that that's exactly what Superman has been thinking about. And yet after that great moment of calming and understanding, Bruce is clearly struggling with a headache and appears on the verge of snapping at Superman. 
Now, there's a background conversation about the fact that the death of the atomic skull was, well, <laughs> it occurred in Gotham, but it was one of Superman's foes. And what that means when issues like that come over from one city to another. And this idea of who answers and in the process, who was the atomic skull? The conversation spins him as a criminal. And yet he was also at least recognized by the city as an officer of Metropolis Crime Unit. Apparently he had made some noise as a reform activist, but the message that is being portrayed, at least by one argument, is that he still ended up a killer. Superman finds this reductive, and Batman believes that the evidence they have found reveals much more possibility that they haven't uncovered. Which brings us back around to the idea of the ultra-humanite who is deploying his powers in a very interesting way that creates a very ominous and horrifying fight scene in which it appears that the ultra-humanite has many bodies that he can activate and turn into a living bomb. What happens when one of those bombs is placed inside one of our heroes? Well, what we're left with now is a challenge. Can one hero save the other? And what will the cost be? Great story, great gorgeous art. Especially enjoy when characters become the living bomb and they get on this like purple glow as they ignite and it feels like a strange curse or infection of the atomic skull's powers. Uh, the final images on the final pages are a great setup for what we can look forward to with Batman Superman number 11 for now. Batman Superman number 10 is here on my list. Number three on the spinner rack. Which brings us around to my fourth choice, and this is one I'm really excited to talk about. I'm talking, of course, about Wonder Woman, number 759. We've got a new creative team with Mariko Tamaki taking over as writer, and as someone from the Bay Area, it's always cool to hear about a great local artist like Oakland-based Mariko Tamaki making such a great impact and telling such great stories. Her work on issue number 759 is definitely a sign of great things to come. She's joined by Mikhail Yanin on art with colors by Jordi Belair. We just heard that name, didn't we? Pat Brousseau providing the letters, David Marquez with the cover, and Jim Lee and Alex Sinclair with the variant cover, which I am just going to say is really great. I mean, the original cover is so much fun with her diving into action and uh, the two mortals kind of in the distance, not looking nearly as thrilled or confident as she does. But the, uh, the variant cover for this by Jim Lee is stunning. All of the great textured qualities. Um, it's a really beautiful image. If you love Jim Lee's work, you're going to love this cover. If you love Wonder Woman, you're going to love this cover. And if you love great art and great variants, you're going to love this cover too. Now, the story inside is a really great time. I walk the line. It's 
um, a really interesting voiceover showing a montage of moments when Wonder Woman is doing the amazing. And yet it appears to be cast from within a prison cell. Now this story talks about the ideas we think we understand, like what it's like to be as powerful as Wonder Woman, or what it's like for her to be this ambassador and the way that she has represented an island of Amazons. And I love the fact that it brings into the idea the, the scope of the enemy she's faced, the fact that she's taken on the god of war. But then it also touches on something that's been hinted at in recent previews, which is the appearance of Maxwell Lord, someone who she had to stop in the most violent way possible. But then we get this great transition to a moving day and the discovery of a bunny. And if you were listening into the weekly podcast recently, you might have heard Brad point out that, yeah, the bunny's cute, but the art, the absolute wonder and amazement and really heartfelt joy expressed on Diana's face is equal to, if not greater in quality than the bunny, who's adorable and introduces us to uh, Diana's neighbor and what it's like moving a lot of her pillars, vases, and other great pieces of gorgeous ancient art into a more modern location. This leads to a shopping trip out to a uh, Ikea sort of knockoff and the first discovery that some powers are at work, powers that can control and manipulate, and that this display of powers is essentially an invitation for Diana to seek out a high-level max security prison. And after she makes her entrance, we have a classic showdown between two characters with a history that will, of course, be explored to great degree within the issues to follow. 759 is a really great reminder of the way that DC can use the history that it's created to tell these powerful stories moving forward, knowing the history that we understand and also showing it to us, not only in new lights, but in new context as the next story continues. This is a really great issue, one that I'm extremely happy to share with you and I know will be reappearing on the spinner rack this time around. It was my fourth choice and that leads us in to my fifth. Now for that fifth and final choice, I had to go with DC Cybernetic Summer number one. This is one of those great compilation books that is just so much fun to enjoy. It's 10 stories for 10 bucks. It's a great value. And it's stacked with all kinds of writers. Uh, Steve Orlando, Liz Erickson, Gabriel Hardman, uh, amazing artists, uh, whether it's Leila DeLuca, uh, Marguerite Savage, uh, <laughs> Greg Smallwood. Uh, there's a lot of fun names. And then, of course, the characters, whether it's Batman, Wonder Woman, Platinum, Red Tornado, Booster, and Blue Beetle, Little Blue and Gold, Robot Man, Cyborg. It's, it's really just a fun collection of great stories. Now, the first one opens up with a really uh, 
fun Batman story that sort of brings us back, interestingly enough, much like Wonder Woman did to Maxwell Lord. This story from Cybernetic Summer brings us back around to the concept of brother eye, AI, and also what it means when something like who Batman is and what he's created can come back to haunt everyone. Uh, then there's some really fun stories that follow from uh, the Metal Men to Wonder Woman. And as I mentioned, just a great cast of characters and a really fun set of stories that bring to light all of our favorite elements of summer and yet capture them through the lens of superheroes, superhero storytelling, and all of the wonderful pieces of adventure that generally seem to come with those stories. Um, the cast of characters, the uh, <laughs> the degree of humor, it, it really showcases just how wonderful and playful and heartfelt comics can be. And it's a wonderful balance to some of the more darker or harrowing storylines that are so often part of what thrills and excites us and yet also can be so challenging because there's often this desire to simply enjoy some of those lighter moments in comics that have been celebrated throughout the decades, throughout its history. Cybernetic Summer, a 80-page one-off, is one of those examples. It's something that fits into that great giant category that gives you all of the best qualities of comic book with an amazing cast of characters, creators, and, well, beautiful pages to enjoy. Highly recommend it, and I'm happy to make that my fifth and final choice. And that brings episode number 65 of the DC Comics News Spinner Rack to a close. I've been your host, Seth Singleton, and as promised, should you want to reach out, let us know about anything going on here at DC Comics News, or more specifically, anything going on here on the Spinner Rack. Well, all you have to do is tag us on social media with that at symbol, and then DC Comics News. It's just capital D, capital C, capital C, O-M-I-C-S, capital N-E-W-S. Do that, and everyone on the team will get a chance to hear your message. We're available on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, and so many more. In fact, let us know if we're on a favorite platform you love to use in a message that you share with us. You can make sure that you're keeping up with all of the great content always being produced by the DC Comics News Podcast Network. All you have to do is make sure that you're subscribed to this channel. When you do, you'll guarantee that you get a chance to catch all the upcoming episodes of shows like the DC Comics News Spinner Rack our weekly podcast that covers movie, television, streaming, comics, and more with a great cast of characters. And then those same characters on our lovely Mad Love, a Harley Quinn cast, an episode-by-episode breakdown of that raunchy and body DC Universe original. Of course, please be aware, for content like that, you have to be old enough to watch the show to tune in to listen to the episode. You'll also get other original content, things like I Am The Night, an episode-by-episode breakdown of Batman the Animated Series, hosted by our very own Mr. Steve J. Ray, also a co-host on the weekly podcast. See, all you have to do is subscribe, and you'll make sure you get to hear these great voices, these familiar sounds, 
all the time. And in doing so, you'll make sure that you are never behind when it comes to the newest offerings from the DC Comics News Podcast Network. And that brings episode number 65 of the DC Comics News Spinner Rack to a close. I've been your host, Seth Singleton, and as promised, should you want to reach out, let us know about anything going on here at DC Comics News, or more specifically, anything going on here on the Spinner Rack. Well, all you have to do is tag us on social media with that at symbol, and then DC Comics News. It's just capital D, capital C, capital C, O-M-I-C-S, capital N-E-W-S. Do that, and everyone on the team will get a chance to hear your message. We're available on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, and so many more. In fact, let us know if we're on a favorite platform you love to use in a message that you share with us. And because we're just so proud of all the great content here at DC Comics News, we want to make sure that you never miss out. All you have to do is check to see if you've already subscribed to this podcast network on the platform you're listening. Once you do, you'll guarantee that you never miss an episode of the DC Comics News Spinner Rack, hosted by yours truly. Or catch me and the great gang on the DC Comics News Weekly Podcast. You get everybody from Kendra Hale to Steve J. Ray, Kelly Gaines, and Brad Felicki. Of course, you can also catch this whole crew in a much more down-to-earth and fun conversation on Mad Love, a Harley Quinn cast, where we get just as body as that DC original. Of course, if you're not old enough to watch the show, please remember you're not old enough to tune into that podcast. However, you can also get great stuff like Batman the Animated Series, hosted by our very own Mr. Steve J. Ray, an episode-by-episode breakdown of the legendary Batman the Animated Series. He does it with sometimes regular cast and sometimes special guests. Make sure that you're subscribed so you never miss out. Once again, this has been the DC Comics News Spinner Rack. This is episode number 66. I've been your host, Seth Singleton. And as we always like to say here, read more comics.